the Freelands are going to kill us. Um, but anyway, we, we, we got them just to hear about the electronic Nazi and blah, blah, blah. That was really good. And, and Joe's there, I mean, just to hear her say the word telly, it just does, does my heart just <laughs> incredib- incredibly much. You know, so we got technology licked, right? We got that figured out? Y'all are good on that? <laughs> Not so much. You know, it's interesting as I was, as I was prepping for our three weeks that we're going to have here and, and diving into Mike's book, Recapturing the Wonder, you know, it, where he really talks about rhythms and spiritual disciplines, and that's kind of where we're going these next three weeks, it really began to dawn on me about whether I've been thinking about this a little wrongly, or, or maybe just a better way to say it is a little, is a little incompletely. In other words, maybe technology is not so much the problem, although it manifests itself in a lot of unhealthy ways. We, we understand that. But maybe our struggles with technology, or let me personalize this, my struggles with technology are really symptoms of a, of a deeper issue. In other words, maybe technology is not the, the sole cause of a lot of my spiritual struggles, but in fact is a symptom of a deeper struggle. And let me kind of explain where where we're going here. You know, the start of the fall, we know this. It's August 15th. God bless you for being here right in the middle of launching out in the new school year. But it is like a tsunami unleashed, right? You have this tidal wave of the new school year and all of the new rhythms that accompany it. You know, FSU football and school and activities and recreation and travel and travel sports and church and children and ministry, and we kind of get even a little exhausted just hearing me list all of these things. And, and this tsunami sort of washes over our life, and, and by the time we reach Christmas, you know, we're, we're tired, we're run down, we, we're reacting, sort of, we're in reactive mode, we're scattered. You know, a lot of us end up kind of walking through seasons like this, spiritually numb, spiritually disconnected, spiritually empty, and oftentimes, it's into that spiritual emptiness that we sort of dump things like technology to fill the space. You know, because technology is so ubiquitous, it's so easy to access, it's, it's such a passively received sort of thing, it's so easy to, to escape into it. You know, sometimes, I'll just be honest with you, it's, it's a lot easier to address the spiritual void that's in my own life Instead of just, instead of addressing it, coming before God, reading his word, praying, it's just, sometimes it's just easier to detox behind a big Netflix binge. Can anybody identify with this? Or is this just me? Or maybe this is just for me tonight. But, but technology just is kind of a band-aid for me in those kind of situations. You know, this summer, Susan and I, we, no, this is not to open up a great controversy about the Enneagram, although we can debate that afterwards. But we got really into the Enneagram and trying to understand why we do what we do and usually about sin. But nonetheless, I found out this summer that I'm the seven. Okay, the seven is the enthusiast. The seven are the tiggers of life, okay? Maybe you're the Eeyore, but I'll let you figure that out on your own. And, and sevens are easily distracted because sevens don't like to feel pain. Sevens, I mean, like if suffering is, is kind of on the horizon, the seven heads off in the other direction. You know, Susan and I were, were talking about something. It was something, I don't remember what it was, babe, something serious, something ominous. And I was like, 
what time does the, was Mission Impossible start this afternoon? When can, when can we get there as fast as, as possible? And I'm realizing at that point, technology is not the problem per se. Technology is the symptom of a deeper spiritual dis-ease in my own soul. This dis-ease, okay, D-I-S hyphen ease, is what Mike Cosper calls disenchantment. And in a great quote, he says, in a disenchanted world, solitude is terrifying. We are afraid to be alone. And, and the problem or the challenge is, is, is this, you know, we've been called as Christians to walk before the face of God, like to honor him, to glorify him, to live in awe in him, to, to taste and see that he, is, that he is good. And then out of that communion, that deep, rich spiritual fellowship overflows blessing and ministry to other people. But a lot of times our rhythms, which is what we're going to be talking about these, these next three sessions, in other words, the way we mark our time, the way we order our lives, oftentimes sets us up to do the very opposite. And what we're really asking here in these three weeks is, is, is are the rhythms of, of our life, of the postmodern 21st century Christian, is this, is this really the way it's supposed to be? Or, or is there an ancient path? Is there a better way? Is there a, a, another sort of set of rhythms that God would call us to live our lives according to that would not so much inhibit us, but would free us, would... would would unleash our hearts and our imagination and our souls to realize there is something so much bigger than what we can see, taste, touch, put our hands around. So let me say a couple of things as we, as, as we get rolling. This is going to be our, our book of study. We're not going to religiously teach through it, but, but this is going to be our basis. If you have not gotten the book, Debbie, where's Debbie? Debbie, right? Anyway, there, there's books in the back. You could purchase one. If you steal one, let it be on your conscience, but we won't hunt you down. Okay, so, so grab one of these. You can order one of these, but we do have plenty of these available. They're only $10. And one very wise sage said, I'm a student, not a teacher. I'm a learner, not a master. Now, who said that? I did. Okay, that was me. Okay, I quoted myself. I've got to be honest with you. I'm... I'm, I'm not coming in as Yoda at all. I'm not like coming from a perch of, we've really got this figured out and everything's just ordered and we have this spiritual rhythm in our lives and we've destroyed all of our technology and we got four hours in the morning with prayer and followed by, you know, that's, that's, that's not me. I'm, I'm, on a, I'm on a learning curve. I'm on a growth curve just like probably many of you are. In fact, I think, this is an opportunity for me and for us to learn from each other. And so, so let me just say, as we're, as we're diving into these things, if, I'm, if you catch me up here monologuing for like more than 10 minutes, just like, wait, Jason, wave your hand and say, stop, okay? Because we really want to hear from each other. And so as I'm, as I'm talking, as we're unpacking God's word together, if there are things that are just like pressing on your heart or questions or issues or things that are, that are unclear or you want to contribute something, awesome, awesome, okay? Now, we may put a microphone in your hand, so don't be too scared, but we, we, we're recording these. We want, we want other people to be, to, to be blessed by them. You also need to know this is going to be teachy more than preachy. Does that, 
You know what I'm saying? Okay, this is, this is, this is going to be a dialogue. This is going to be interactive. I'm, I may, like, call on you, okay, by name. Like, Scott, why don't you, or something. I don't know what I'll do. But, but don't worry, don't, don't, don't be freaked out. But it's going to be that sort of time, okay? Now, we will have some Q&A at the very end, end of these sessions, but that's going to kind of going to kind of mark out and frame our time, okay? And then we will end right on time because the child care workers will come dump the kids in our laps if we don't, if we don't rescue them. All right, so on your handout, there's a little heading called Enchantment, and there's a quote on page, 20, um, page 26, and I've got it written out on your handout, because you may say enchantment, disenchantment, that sounds like Harry Potter. This sound, is, this, is, this a, is this a seminar, Pastor Paul, on witchcraft? You know, what, what, what are we talking about here? And, and we need to th- expand our imaginations a little bit about what we mean by enchantment and disenchantment. C.S. Lewis, who obviously wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, one of his fundamental purposes in writing those novels for kids, but which we as adults get addicted to, is to communicate on a fundamental level in a, in a materialistic age that there is more about this life than meets the eye. See, the, see a, a common theme in all of his books is that there, there's the world we see right here, but there's this other, he calls it magic. This, this, there's, a, there's a magical world behind the wardroom door, or there, there's this whole other set of spiritual realities. And when, when Lewis uses the word magic, he, he doesn't mean like David Copperfield or David Blaine or something like that. He doesn't, he's not that kind of magic, like, a, like an entertainer. He's talking about the world as it truly is, the world as created by God, inhabited by his presence. And so somebody read, and, and we're just going to call on folks, and when, when, if, you, if you do say something or read something, stand while you do it. Would somebody stand and read that little quote by Mike on, from page 26? It's on your sheet. Can somebody do that for us? Rick Nelson doesn't need a mic. He's got a big voice. Go. A world permeated by God's grace, filled with his presence, a world where everything is being reconciled and made new in Jesus. In other words, this is, we're not just an accident of the cosmos. We're not a product of, of the evolutionary cycle and that we are from, from dust we come and dust we return and that's it. We know from scripture that all of human history is going in a certain direction, that 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 one day Jesus is going to return again. He's going to reign. And when he comes, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And when we, when we get the enchantedness aspect of our, of our lives and our hearts aligned with God, we realize we live, we live in light of who he is and who he has created us to be in the world that he has made for us to inhabit. There, there, there's... There, this isn't all there is. Okay, that is a fancy way of saying that. There's some scripture passages here. And so I'm going to ask for some volunteers to read these. Acts 17, 24 through 28. John Johnson, can you read that? Okay, Acts is in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 19. Who, who can read that for us? John's a good friend. He knows this. Eric, thank you. James 4, 13 through 16. Let's get the ladies involved. Megan, will you do that? Thank you. And then, then a Romans eleven thirty six. 
Sherry Freeland because she's the uh, electronic Nazi. Okay, there we go. So when, when you read those passages, stand up and, and, and belt it out for us. Thank you. First Corinthians six. that that's that our bodies don't exist to satisfy sexual appetite in and of themselves they're they're created for something larger bigger than that james chapter four Keep going. Yep. Uh, okay. See if you were using the real word of God, the paper version. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Romans eleven. We just, you know, let me encourage you when you go back tonight or you get up in the morning just to reread those scriptures, let them sort of wash over your soul. And as you do them and as you read them and as you pray through them, what's happening is that you are becoming re-enchanted. You are, you are being reminded, renewed, refreshed about what reality truly is. Life consists so much more of soccer practices and going here and going there and recreating and and all those things have their place. But if we don't situate it in the right sort of context, in the right orb, then, then, then Mike Cosper says disenchantment is what infects our soul. And, and so we're going to go there. But let, let, let me read this one. I'll read this one from Abraham Kuyper, who's a Dutch, was a Dutch theologian, prime minister of the Netherlands. If you ain't Dutch what? You ain't much. Okay, that's all we got to say. All right, so and he, had, he had so many great quotes, but he said, whatever man may, may stand, whatever he may do, to whatever he may apply his hand in agriculture and in commerce and in an industry or his mind in the world of art and science, he is, in whatsoever it may be, constantly standing before the face of God. He is employed in the service of his God. He has strictly to obey God, and above all, he has to aim at the glory of his God. 
One of, the, one of the great things about the Protestant Reformation, it reclaimed this idea that everything that we do honors and glorifies the Lord when it's done for his honor and his glory. It's not just the cleric, it's not just the monk or the nun or the priest or the pastor who has a, has a holy spiritual vocational calling. Every one of you, every one of us, if as long as we're not engaged in some sort of illegal activity, you get what I'm saying, whether we're making shoes like the cobbler in Corinth or we're, or we're a lobbyist or we're a lawyer or a doctor or a nurse or stay-at-home mom, it's all good. It's all done to the glory of God. It's, it honors him. And, and we need to understand that the world out there is just as enchanted with the presence of God as this place in here. Whenever you start to feel like we're, we're in some sort of magical, enchanted, like unique place, just remember, where are we worshiping? In, in the toiletries aisle, right here. Okay, that, that, that's, where, that's where we are. This used to be a, this used to be a food lion. So, so disenchantment, what, what, are we, what are we saying there? Now, understand something. You can be a Christian, you can be a believer, and be a totally disenchanted person. Okay, here, and here's what I mean. A disenchanted world is, is, is not necessarily a world where God and religion don't exist. A disenchanted world is where God and religion are superfluous, um, where, where, where the, the, the idea of the transcendence and imminence of God rests very lightly, to use a David Wellesian term. Um, Richard Foster, I think it was Richard Foster, um, or Dallas Willard uses the term biblical deism. What does that mean? It means we kind of have this attitude, we, we of course we believe in God, he made us, we saved, uh, he saves us, he's going to come again and we'll be with him in heaven, but in between now and then, we're just kind of like doing whatever. We're kind of like living our lives and doing the best we can, it doesn't feel particularly spiritual, and that sort of mindset, God quickly becomes, again, here, here it is, not, we're not atheistic, God just more becomes irrelevant, inconsequential, peripheral, implausible. See, when we, when we, we, do, when we say, like, for example, we're, just, we're too busy to attend church, or we're not generous, or we fail to open up our lives in hospitality and service, or, we're, or we don't run after Christian community— what are we really saying? When, when we fall victim to all of those things, which we all do, we've really bought into the lie of disenchantment. That, that God is there, but he's largely unneeded. That's what, that's what Koster means when he talks about disenchantment. You know, there, there's a lot of buzzwords for, for these sorts of things. We talk about, we're, I mean, please don't say it, but we are what? How are you doing? I'm so what? Busy, right? Busy, I'm burned out, I'm running on a treadmill. Can, can I provide a reinterpretation for this idea of busyness that seems to have infected all of us? Sometimes it's just easy as a people to become disenchanted. We have forgotten whose world this is, what we have been put here to do. And oftentimes busyness, just like technology, is a symptom, is a symptom it's not, it's not always the cause, okay? It's a symptom of a deeper spiritual 
void in our hearts and lives. And what this book is designed to do is to help us wreath, I mean, this is, this is not going to send you to a monastery. It's not going to send you out into the, into the desert, okay, to, to sell all your worldly possessions. And, but again, that's what a lot of, that's what happened in the 4th century, 4th century AD, as worldliness encroached upon the church, as, the, as Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, you had this rise of the monastic order to sort of retreat and run. And, and that's not what this book is advocating for. This book is advocating for us to think about our rhythms. And so what do we mean by rhythms? And you should be following along on your sheet there. Rhythms, and, and we're going to unpack this, are really just pathways that allow us to resync with reality. Okay, pa- rhythms are pathways that allow us to resync with reality. Do you ever get one of those little warnings on your iPhone that says you haven't synced in four and a half years? You know, do you ever had one of those? Okay, or is that just in our family? And then like your phone crashes and you're like, you go to you go to like backup data and it's like. Oh my gosh, Barack Obama was president the last time, you know, I backed up. What, what, what is this? Rhythms remind us of, of who we are, who God is, and our place in this world. Another word that, we, that, we'll, that I'm going to use here is this idea of, of liturgy. So, so, for example, let me, just, let me talk about liturgy as it relates to worship. And by that, I mean like corporate worship. So, so. Believe it or not, on Sundays, when we come together for the hour and 20, let's just, let's not pretend it's an hour and a half, right? It's, a, it's just a full hour and a half. When we come together, um, we're not, Lord willing, hopefully throwing all that together 20 minutes ahead of time, but it reflects um, a purpose. It reflects planning. Here is what we're preaching on, and here's how the elements of the, of the service are ordered in a way to point to the Word of God, and we're confessing, we're telling the gospel story, there's praise, there's adoration, and we're coming to the table, we're reenacting the, the gospel as we take the Lord's Supper. All of that is called a liturgy. Liturgy is not like just what high church robes and all those folks do. That's, every church has a liturgy, okay? Every church has a liturgy. You know, some it's just smoke and electric guitars and, you know, I don't know, praise flags and dancing and stuff like that. Others, it's, it's, it's just, it's really quiet or it's stayed or it's choirs or whatever. But every church has a liturgy, which just means a form. It means a way of doing worship. Now listen, this is important. All of us have what I would call a life liturgy. All of us. A way, a rhythm, a pattern for the way that we do life. And the question is not whether or not we have a life liturgy. We do. All of us do. The question is, do we have one that is spiritually fruitful or one that is largely spiritually unfruitful? So came back. So you told you this on Sunday, Susan and I did a big 25-year anniversary trip. I came back. I had gained about it was a 25-year anniversary trip. I gained about 25 pounds on the trip, okay, is, is basically. And so I knew I needed to get a, a rhythm with my physical health. And so I made the great big mistake of trying to do CrossFit with Craig Boltman, okay, and John Menendez. And, and all I know is that the second day after I did this, um, Susan's out doing something in the yard or comes to the door and, like, 
Josh Hughes had to throw me in the back of his like pickup truck and I'm just like sprawled out and it's like, this rhythm is not going to be productive. Okay, we, 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 need, a, we need a productive rhythm here. All of us have a life rhythm, a way of living, a way that we mark the time and our days. And so this thing about it, all of us have some sort of morning routine. And you may say, well, Pastor Paul, I don't, we don't have a morning routine. Well, that is your routine, right? <laughs> Chaos, okay, craziness. You have a morning routine. You have an evening routine. You have a weekend routine. You have a bedtime routine, a leisure routine, a travel routine, a media routine, a vacation routine, meals. There's some sort of routine. Or, and if you say, oh, I don't have a routine, again, that in itself is a routine. It's a, it's a rhythm. And for all of us, Somebody much smarter than I said, you know, it's very difficult as human beings to rise above our own habituations. In other words, our rhythms, our habits shape the way we see and experience and walk faithfully or not in this world. All of us have one. The question is, um, do do we have one that is fruitful Do we have one that is spiritually productive? Or do we have one that sort of forces us into that disenchanted frame of mind where we wake up six months down the road, three months down the road, and say, what am I doing? I feel spiritually disconnected. I feel spiritually empty. I'm I'm void. I'm, I'm I'm not spiritually connected with God and with other people. And obviously... All of us are going to say, yes, that's me, and, and it's true, but there is, a, there is a spectrum on these things, and what Mike does in this book is he helps us find rhythms in our life, it's an immensely practical book, to taste and see that the Lord is good. To taste and see that the Lord is good. If you have your Bibles, this will be everybody, turn to Jeremiah 6, 15 through 16. Jeremiah 6. 15 through 16. And if somebody could could stand and read, that would just be super duper. Jeremiah 6, 15 through 16. I'm going to be calling on somebody. Casey, stand up and read this for us, please. Thank you. I knew he had it. He was ready to roll. Okay. Jeremiah, in his warning to the Israelites, said, you're, you're, you're on a path of unfaithfulness. And, 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 for, and for the Israelites, that was a time where they were drawn to the latest and the greatest, the newest, whatever the most popular God was that happened to be on the block at that particular time. And it's interesting, he says, I, I call you back to, to an ancient path. I call you back to to come and sit at my feet and remember that I am God and that I've created you for relationship with me. Um, you know, Susan, I had the 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 blessing of 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 or 
for me, it was just, it was, it was, a, it was a really great wake-up call as it relates to the power of rhythms this summer. Um, I, when, when Susan and I went on this, on this marriage week, this marriage retreat, and as we got to hear the stories and the testimonies of other couples, okay, ways that they were walking through life together, um, one of the things that, that, really, that really stood out to me um, is, is I would say, if you'd asked me going into the, into the, into the week, hey, describe, describe your marriage. And we'd, I'd have said, well, of course, I love my wife dearly, okay, more than any woman in the history of the face of the world. Um, we're, we're committed. We're partnering together. We're working together. We're getting along. There's even a little bit of romance we can toss in there, right? But as we pulled back and I began to, like, really look to really look at my own soul. It's like I could see where disenchantment had so easily slipped into those things because when you're laboring side by side as a married couple or you're back to back, I mean, and fighting your kids, I don't know who, you're fighting the enemies that are out there, right? You're side by side, you're back to back. It's so easy and you're laboring and working and ministering and recreating Again, it's so easy to be deceived. The most important things about our life is what we, we can see, taste, touch, and put our hands around. But that passage that one of you guys read from 1 Corinthians 6, it reminds us that marriage is something entirely different. Marriage is a, is a holy reality before God. Marriage, marriage is a supernatural thing. Marriage given to us so that we can better understand the relationship that Christ has with the church. In other words, it's not like God gave us marriage just for the heck of it. God gave us marriage specifically to point to the greater reality of Christ in the church. And the reason we won't marry in heaven, which I think is kind of stinky, okay, but the reason we won't be married in heaven is because it says, then we'll see Jesus face to face, okay? But part of Part of being reoriented to that reality is that we got to, to go off this summer and, and reenact some different rituals, to reenact some different rhythms that were called suffering together on the ropes course, okay? All right, rafting down a river, spending 12 hours in the car. And, and it was the most awesome thing because it, it really reoriented me, reoriented us, through these new rhythms, oh, this is, marriage is about one flesh. Marriage is about a union between a man and a woman. A marriage is a, like, special, unique, spiritual reality. But the rhythms of our lives so easily help us, encourage us towards disenchantment. And it really helped us, helped me, to become enchanted once again with Oh, okay, God, this is why you've made us. This is what you have created us to do. And so based upon that time, based upon the fact that we had a little bit of a reset in our realities, in our rhythms, we came back with some resolutions like we want to institute some new rhythms, okay? So what does it look like to get up at really early, okay? Earlier than I'm, God created me to get up, okay? But it's been a massive blessing because it's, helps, it's helped us to reorder our, our lives under a new rhythm before him and win each other. Okay, so, so for thousands of years, 
pathways, rhythms, we have, they've been called a bunch of different things. Ways, um, rules, orders. We call them spiritual disciplines. Prayer, scripture reading, fasting, meditation, quiet. A way of life or habits that allow us to inhabit reality. Okay? A way that enchants our souls with who God is every single day. These are, these are signposts, landmarks, significant things that, that call us to remember that we are citizens of a different world. These are, a lot of times we think about spiritual disciplines as an obligation. We think of them as a moral checklist. And I did them today, and I'm good. And I didn't do them today, I'm bad, right? That's kind of the... No, no, they're, they're invitations from God. They're invitations to come and taste and see that he is good. Jeremiah chapter 6, come and consider the ancient way. These are opportunities, okay, not checklists. And so I want to just camp out here in these 10 or 12 minutes that we have left and look at two particular things that I want to introduce you to that I think will be helpful for you as you're thinking about your own rhythms in life. What are they reinforcing to you about the world, about reality, about your relationships, your marriage, your parenting? What are they reinforcing to you about God? And what's he calling you to, to fundamentally realign in your life? So pathway one, if you turn in your little books, if you have them, the page 28 through 31. And if you got the electronic version of this, that's okay. All right. Still a Christian. 28 through 31. Cosper talks about ways of marking time, okay, ways of marking time. And he thought, he thought, he talks, and we're not going to work through this in detail. This is for you to do sort of on your, on your own. But he talks about there are, there are yearly things that we do um, in the life of the church, for example, that call us to remember who, who God is. Two primary ones he mentions are like Easter and, and Advent or Christmas, where one, we're remembering the coming of Christ. Two, we are, we are remembering the death and resurrection of Christ. Oftentimes what we lose in the contemporary church is this idea of marking time on a church calendar. Now, there was a good reason that the reformers like kicked most of this stuff to the curb because they were like honoring every dead saint and everything else, you know, in between. There was like when you honor everything, there's nothing that remains special. But yet... There was something really powerful that oriented people's lives through the liturgical calendar of the life of the church to remind people, again, of who they are and who God is. He talks about rhythms that are weekly, okay? And these can be, these can be things all the way from corporate worship. Do you think about corporate worship as a, as a weekly rhythm or going to your community group? or having a family dinner or a feast. We'll talk, he talks in this book about what it's like to throw a feast, and it made me want to throw a feast, okay, big time, and we'll, and we'll get to that. And if you throw a feast, you can invite us to your feast. We would, love to, we would love to do that. He talks about weekly rhythms. He talks about daily rhythms. These would be things like journaling and praying and reading scripture and silence and, and solitude. He talks about hourly rhythms, you ever thought about that? That there are hourly rhythms that God has given us to reorient our hearts to him? What does Paul mean when he says things like, 
pray without ceasing. What, is, what does that mean? Am I in my prayer closet all day, every day? Or, or is Paul talking about this ongoing conversation I'm having with God, scriptures that I'm praying back to him, ways that I'm reorienting my life? I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes we can get to the end of our day and like kind of forget we know God, okay, right? We, we, we're busy, we're doing this, we're doing that. What are things that call us, what are rhythms that can call us back to knowing him even on an hourly basis? And so I would commend you, first of all, like this kind of as a little assignment this week, and if you, can, if you can't read this whole book, okay, because you have too much TV to watch or whatever it is, okay, if you can't read this whole book, at least read the pathways, okay? There's seven pathways. Seriously, you could read this whole book in a couple of hours if you just shut off your Facebook and all that. And so you could do it. But if you can't do that, read, read the seven pathways. But in pathway one, what I would encourage you to do is just take a spiritual inventory of your life. If you're, if you're married, do this as a married couple. If you're not married, do it with a friend in your community group. Talk about it there. And, and just sort of do an inventory and say, what, what are, you know, what are my, I bet you do have an hourly rhythm. You may not think you do. You do. Well, what's probably a very common hourly rhythm here that we've all built into our lives and we don't even think about it anymore? Check your phone, okay? I've gotten to the age where I wake up at ungodly times, like 2 and 3 a.m. What am I doing when I wake up? I'm just being honest. I'm shaking it. I'm like, what's going on? There's something, surely something happened in the world while I was sleeping, and it's like a lot happened. But, but it's, it's, it's a rhythm, see? And when I do that, I shouldn't be shocked when I've become disenchanted, Right? All of a sudden, the most important things in life is what's happening politically or what's happening internationally or what's happening on the sports field. All of us have these sorts of rhythms. And so one of the things I would encourage you towards is just doing a survey, um, an inventory, an audit of your own life. Do it as a married couple and say, hey, what are our, what, how do we mark time weekly? How do we mark time hourly, daily? monthly, yearly? Um, what, what, how do you mark time as a family? What are, what are some of those things? And just, and just do an inventory, okay? Just do, just do like, hey, we want to we, we wanna check in here about, about where we are. Now flip over to, to, to pathway seven in the back. And that's going to be on page 151 and, and 52. Somebody read that little excerpt from, from Cosper's book, Rules of Life. Somebody read that for us. Chris, can you read that for us? So, so one of the things that, that Mike... Cosper introduces us to in this book is the, is the idea of the rule, okay? So what is the rule? So, so it, it's, it's, it, it goes all the way back, you know, thousands, hundreds of years. So when, when monks or, or fathers who would retreat to the desert, they, the, the way they would sort of order their lives is they would write up rules, okay, or orders or forms or 
if they had a daytime or their schedule, okay? So if you flip over a couple of pages, there on page 155, he, Mike talks about my rule. So in other words, this, is, this sort of reflects the rhythm of my life. And he's really honest in there about like when, it, when he's lying and when he's not, right? I mean, so, so this isn't perfect. This is just a standard thing. And, and what we want to be working towards, what I want to encourage us to work towards as, as believers is, what does your rule look like? Do you have one? Now, now understand, we all have one, okay? We all have one. How well thought out, how spiritually purposeful, how, how empowered by the Spirit, how thoughtful is it? Have we, have we planned ahead of time? And so just to know, as you're in pathway one and you're kind of, doing an inventory of your own life, flipping back and saying, okay, what does, what is one Christian? And th- this doesn't have to be your rule, right? This doesn't have to be your, your, your pathway. But again, what is it going to be? What's it going to, to look like? I read this and I found it immensely helpful, okay? Um, so helpful, like corporately, and we're gonna, I'm going to start wearing robes every Easter and Christmas. It's going to be awesome, okay? We won't do that, okay? But I do think there's like, well, that's, that's really good. Like, we need to be thinking about how we're marking our time as a church family. We need to be thinking about how we're marking our time as a, as a, as in our own family at home. So let me stop right there and, and say, okay, th- there's some good stuff to go run to. We're going to spend time unpacking some of those different pathways and disciplines and rhythms, much more specifically all the way from prayer to scripture reading. We're going to talk about fasting, okay, the lost art of fasting. We'll talk about feasting, okay. There's a difference, just like there's a difference in entertainment and hospitality, there's a difference in gluttony and a difference in feasting. So, so, So one is like centered on the person and like I'm just going to consume all I want. One is centered on the glory of God and the sharing of abundance with one another. Okay, there's so we're going to talk about all of those all of those different things here in the next in the next two weeks. So, but for tonight, would love if any of you have a have a question or a comment or concern or anything, just raise your hand, ask it, and we'll make sure David Hughes answers it. Right? Good. All right. So, what what are some questions or comments or thoughts? As I often say, this is either really good or really bad. I'm not sure. I'm not. You're thinking like, I need to get some of that extra fried chicken that's out, out, in, the, out in the thing. Yeah. What? <laughs> Spiritual disenchantment is like being in being the... Being in the desert. Hmm. And you have two choices. When you first go into the desert, you notice the heat, you notice the dust. And if that's all you see, it's not very enchanting. But looking at it differently, if you start by looking at the sky, it's going to be bluer than it is here. The air is clearer. And if you're looking out, say, over Bryce or Grand Canyon, the rock formations are incredible. And that takes away the feeling of the heat. And that takes away the noticing of the dust. 
The spiritual disenchantment is being in the desert and stopping with the heat, as opposed to being able to look beyond that into what's really there. That's good, thanks. You're also describing a scene from The Martian, too. Remember, like, he's looking out, it's blue, the, the rocks. I mean, it's like, it's, it reminds me of that. It's like, either I can, like, die here, or I can get busy living. You know, I can get busy surviving. Bo. Being, this, being the cynic that I am, I mean, what is the reality as we looked at that very last section, I mean, of having that schedule? I mean, I went to military school and military college. I lived like that. I mean, it kind of seems ritualistic, um, legalistic kind of lifestyle. Yeah, so... so Clearly, there are ways that I think you could employ this could be hurtful for you, your family, and your own soul. You know, it's like driving with your rule on the dashboard and saying and yelling at your kids all the way down, this is the hour we're supposed to be joyful and meditating and memorizing the shorter catechism. I mean, you, you, could, you could approach it that way, which would be harmful. I, I think in a lot of ways, I think your rule is, is something you may not, even, may not even be visibly present to you. I mean, it's like, he, he suggests writing it down, and some of you, like, love that kind of stuff, and some of you are like, oh, no. I, I, the point is, do you know why you're doing what you're doing? Have you thought of, of some sort of purposeful, like, approach to the day? So, so you know, for, for again, for, for Susan and I as a couple, well, if we don't carve out this sort of time at this, at this place in the day to connect, to pray, to talk about the day, to look at our goals, all those sorts of things, then life becomes disenchanted so fast, okay? So, yeah, I don't, I don't we're not going to make you turn in your rule, okay? We're not going to tweet your rule out. We're not going to post it on Facebook, but yeah, it could be, it could, it could, it could bind you, but I, I do, re, I do want to remind us so David, David's like, we think about the law as constricting us and constricting our freedom. But David, but what does David say? It's in your law that I run free. You know, so there, there's, there's a freedom in that sort of hedging. But yeah, I would, I would, I think you have to appropriate it for yourself and what that sort of looks like. I don't have anything. I mean, I've got a schedule. Okay, I'll be honest. With you, I have a schedule. I don't have what I would call a rule. You know, I don't have a, a, a sort of liturgical flow about my life. It might be something that I want to consider. Yes, Stephanie. I'm very, very hesitant to share about this because um, I don't, I don't know, but um, I'm, I have a very undisciplined, very unruly, very me-centric heart and I always have and I could sleep for 12 hours a day and I just could I could I could be that person so um but since last year's reboot um I was really convicted about the time that I was spending um on uh kind of not productive activities and I was kind of um waffling I guess between um low-level depression 
and like despair and then like frantic activity. So like I would just go as fast and as hard and as long and as eager and as zealous as I could and it wouldn't produce what I wanted it to because I was doing it all in my own effort and then I would fall into despair and just kind of do nothing and just kind of do the bare minimum to get by. And um, I, I know that this won't... Uh, <sighs> I know that this won't apply for everyone because a lot of people have things like, you know, they have to be at work by a certain time or they have to, you know, whatever. But as a stay-at-home mom, I've also felt the, um, I don't know, just the chaos of not having to be somewhere at a certain time every single day. And um, I wanted to say that, um, number one, that through um, intentionality and realizing that, um, well, in the book it says, being perfectly human means being contingent, um, requiring food and rest and solitude in order to live perfectly. Humanity isn't limitless and self-sufficient, but deeply dependent on God's provision. And talking about how Jesus had to withdraw and be alone, and that's okay, and that we need that, and we need to remember that all of our fruit comes from God. And this might be like 101 for all y'all, but I'm brand new to this game. Um, so I'm just now realizing that that frantic activity is just as sinful as the despair and that if it's not coming out of God. And I just want to say that in like the last two months, because I've read this book now too, God's really met me in that place and um, helped me with the intentionality that I need to start my day and, and really evaluate what are the priorities, what needs to happen in a given day for me. I need to do X, Y, and Z, and the rest, uh, everything else is good, but it's these are the intentional things. And it gives me that freedom in those time segments to not feel like I'm ignoring my kid because I'm filling the blank. Well, no, that's I've allocated this time to do this, and he's going to have to sort himself out. Or that's going to have to sort itself out. I've you dedicated. Mean your child or Jay? Yes. Okay, good. Okay, yeah. <laughs> good. Just to say, no. That, um, but there's there is freedom in allocating awesome. those times and being intentional and present in those times. And I wanted to encourage you and the other people that might be struggling like I am to find that intentionality. So, no, Thank you, Stephanie. Listen, let me do this. I want to honor our time. And so I'm going to invite Pastor Scott up here. He's going to dismiss us. But let me just pray for us. Scott's going to say a couple things, and then, we're, then we'll be done. Lord Jesus, um, I pray if there was any word that was misspoken by me or misapplied or anything, that it would be words to the wind. Anything, Lord, that we said that was reflective, true, and right of your word, and that points us to you, Father, I pray that you would uphold those things in our hearts and minds. Lord, thanks for a great listening um, ear that you've given to the people of Four Oaks. Thank you for their testimonies, the way that you're working and moving. Lord, I'm a student. I'm a learner. Lord, we, I want to submit myself to this and, and say, God, um, have your way with me. Have your way with Four Oaks. Lord, we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, just real quick, we'll keep our time short, but... Uh... One of the desires that we have as a church is not only to gather corporately, but then also, especially for you who might be new to Four Oaks, to give you some, some on-ramps into more ongoing sorts of community. And so each, each week, we're just going to give you one on-ramp. And so tonight, I get to talk uh, briefly about community groups. And uh, one of the beautiful things about community is we get to interact over life 
right? The purpose of our community group is to do life together. And so even in, a, in applying some of these things that we're talking about, uh, you need to interact over it, right? And be able to share ideas. And so the purpose of our community groups is really to do exactly that. And, and so if you are relatively new to Four Oaks, um, we want to provide some on-ramps for you so that you can do life with other people uh, who are right, probably in a similar spot to you and how to be able to apply some of the things that God's word talks about. Uh, the purposes of our groups are discipleship, care, and mission. So discipleship meaning helping us to grow more to be like Jesus with God's word at the center. Care is to be able to come alongside of one another when we have a need. And so I even think of a couple of quick examples. A um, person who had a back surgery just about a week and a half ago. Uh, their whole community group is coming alongside of her, providing meals. Think of another community group about a, a couple years ago. A person lost his job. The whole community group kind of rallied around and helped be able to meet some of the financial needs that he had. We all have needs, right? We're needy people. And now we don't need the Lord, but we need one another. And also we have a great opportunity to serve and to be able to care for others when they are in need too. The last purpose of our groups is mission. And what that means is we just want to reach out to those who are kind of on the fringes who need community. And so we want to establish several opportunities for new community groups. And primarily those are going to happen on Sunday nights. We have several new groups this fall. So if you're interested in joining a new group, you can talk to me after the service. I can give you more information about it. But those new groups are going to meet here at the facility with child care. And uh, it should be a great chance to be able to build relationships with people who are from Four Oaks, but also people who are brand new to Four Oaks. And we'd love to be able to provide that opportunity to you. So uh, there's a quick, quick uh, promo for community groups. If you have more questions, feel free to talk to me by show of hands. How many of you guys are in a community group right now? Isn't that great? I wish I could go around the room and ask you all the benefits of it. We, but we'd spend a long time here. But the point is, is we need one another, right? We can't do life on our own. And so if you are desirous of relationships here at Four Oaks and you're not plugged into community, talk to me afterwards. I'm going to read to you from Psalm 36. You guys stand. This is the invitation to us of what Paul was just talking about. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your steadfast, or your, excuse me, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. What an invitation we have to commune with the God of the universe. Let's pray for one another that we would do that this week. You guys are dismissed. Yeah.